Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council in Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and today is September the 3rd, 2015. I'm joined today for a special podcast on the migration crisis by three colleagues. From our London office, Dick Osting, ECFR CEO, who used to run Amnesty International's European operations, uh, the Dutch Refugee Council, and has been involved in issues to do with migration and refugees for, for many decades now, I think. Um, in uh, France somewhere, um, Susie Dennison, our Senior Policy Fellow and Co-Director of, of, European, of our European Power Programme who uh, has also uh, been uh, working on these issues for a long time, not least within the context of the, the foreign policy scorecard and the special migration scorecard, which we did earlier in the year, which looked at how the different member states were responding to the migration crisis. And from Berlin by Josef Janning, who is a senior policy fellow and head of our office there. Dick, why don't you tell us... Um, how this crisis is playing out and what the different dimensions are. And then we can go into some of the detail, both of the national positions, but also some of the bigger questions that are being raised. Well, starting with the uh, the immediate, uh, the pictures that everybody gets on the television screens and indeed may have witnessed sort of uh, live uh, from Calais to Hungary to um, Lampedusa, Kos, uh, Greek islands, uh, the seemingly endless streams of, of refugees uh, trying to reach Europe, uh, first mainly through the Mediterranean, now increasingly uh, also through the Balkans, Hungary, Austria, and to Germany, which appears to be the main destination. And all over the place, we see frantic efforts to uh, to control the borders, to keep people from moving from one country to another. Calais obviously is a is a is a is a hot spot that 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 makes you cringe uh, at times. Um, this, again, in a context where the humanitarian crisis becomes, uh, if that is possible, more and more apparent even than it, than it has been until uh, recently, uh, how to save people from drowning, how to save people from uh, yeah, dying in, 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 in lorries. Um, all this then has enormous impact on the whole European uh, system from burden sharing to Schengen to the asylum system. Uh, all these aspects sort of put enormous pressure on European leaders uh, who all come from backdrops where they have to deal with populist uh, constituents, constituencies um, and are generally very reluctant with a few exceptions to to take any steps to seem more generous in 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 receiving refugees in 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 accepting a more generous uh, system of burden sharing and that of course in the context where people keep coming i mean this is turning into an existential crisis for Europe, for, for both from africa and from the middle east the uh, uh, the war uh, uh, situations generate uh, endless uh, numbers of refugees who cannot all be uh, and kept uh, in the region. People won't keep in the region. They now stream through Turkey and keep on coming across the Mediterranean. And this will not stop. So Europe has to think um, more long term.
term, um, uh, in addition to dealing with the immediate crises that I just laid out, uh, its own systemic uh, problems, but particularly how to deal with the problems in the regions where the refugees come from, uh, the war situations, particularly in the Middle East and North Africa and uh, in parts of, 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 of um, Southern Africa, um, and then the economic situations that keep people dri keep driving people uh, to come north to Europe. So Susie, why don't we come to you next? You've been both studying where the different member states are on these issues for a long time, but also um, <coughs> you've just written a, a really interesting article which says that this could be the week that the migration policy challenge uh, has, has changed within Europe. T tell us what's going on in different capitals and why you think this last week was so important. Well, I think the starting um, the starting point for looking at this has to be that um, the refugee crisis which Europe is is currently facing isn't happening in isolation. It's one among many um, linked challenges which the EU is currently dealing with. Um, there's a very live debate on how Europe handles terrorism, and we saw um, the most recent, um, albeit thwarted, attack um, that Europe faced on on the Talis um, between Brussels and Paris over the summer had a very clear cross border component. There's also a very live debate um, at the moment on economic migration um, within the EU, uh, which is um, fueled in no small part by the questions that the UK is posing relating to this um, uh, and, its, and its renegotiation process on its relationship with Europe. So unfortunately, what we've been seeing over the summer is that um, many that, that the different European governments are holding their response on the refugee crisis hostage to the aspects of these linked issues, uh, which are most significant to them in the domestic environment. So we've started to see um, Austria um, and Denmark restarting border checks. We've seen Slovakia suggesting um, that they will only take in refugees from uh, from certain faiths, notably Christians. Uh, we've seen Hungary uh, constructing a wall to... Um, uh, to to protect uh, one of the EU's external borders, um, we've seen the the southern states continue to deal on a day to day basis with the huge influxes of people from uh, from the south. But we've also seen um, the, uh, the 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 routes into um, the EU swinging round um, to to the eastern borders too. Um, so this is why we've we've really had a summer in which um, there's been a huge amount of um, of inaction really um, because because European leaders have been. Um, Unable to unpick this complex picture um, and, uh, and 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 pull out a, a sort of a, a, any any kind of response to that. Um, but now there seem to be two things uh, which are changing. And the, and the first of these um, is that I think over the last few weeks we've seen a strong push from. Um, from from the people who live in um, in the EU, from EU citizens, notably in Germany, that they actually want to help um, uh, refugees. Um, that, that we're starting to see the population differentiating um, between uh, refugees and, and and other groups of migrants in in terms of um, the way that they're being received. We've seen um, uh, more volunteerism um, in supporting um, arrivals. Um, we've even seen um, in Germany um, uh, local people developing apps for how to deal with the system um, uh, for, for those arriving in Germany. So there have been some really positive reactions from the citizenry, uh, leaving aside the more negative uh, ones that, uh, that, that we've also seen um, 
in, in Germany itself too and elsewhere in Europe in terms of um, worry about um, uh, the impact this is having on Europe. And I think the second change that we've uh, we've seen over the last few weeks is 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 that uh, German the German government, uh, but also um, uh, Angela Angela Merkel um, uh, personally has stepped up um, to provide some political leadership on this issue. Um, finally, there's been a there's been a lacuna around um, this uh, since since the crisis has been brewing, um, uh, and and now we've finally seen um, from the German government um, uh, a ten point plan put forward um, on how at a European level um, this this problem can be dealt with um, in a way that means it's not going to be an existential crisis that destroys Europe. There's a lot to go in terms of pushing um, <coughs> that plan through with other European governments, but I, I, I see that as a, as a potential starting point. So as in pretty much every crisis, all roads um, lead back to, to Berlin um, and that is what the migrants in the trains in Hungary were shouting, Germany, Germany, Germany. So, uh, Josef, there is more than one Germany, as uh, as Susie hinted at. There's the, the Hellas Deutschland, the bright, wonderful uh, Germany that is trying to reframe the debate. But there's also a, a Dunkel Deutschland, particularly in East Germany, where many of the racist attacks have taken place and people have been burning down refugee shelters. Can you both tell us a bit about the politics of these issues in Germany, but also how you see... Germany changing the rules within the EU and then maybe I can come back to, to the other uh, two to, to talk about some of the, these rule changes. Yeah, well, thanks, Mark. Um, it, it really appears that Germany uh, is a magnet, uh, that uh, the migratory flows, the refugee flows are mostly targeted at Germany. The picture is not entirely fair uh, because uh, the, the migration into uh, Scandinavia, particularly Sweden, uh, Norway to some degree, but also to Austria, uh, into the Netherlands, is also sizable, but Germany is just the biggest country. Um, and its economic situation is known. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the possibilities on the German labor market are better than they are probably uh, are in many other EU countries. So I think that contributes to this. Uh, plus, I think the, um, uh, the reactions of the German government uh, to uh, um, uh, invite Syrian refugees to come, uh, not as extended as an open invitation, but as a signal that, one, that Germany is ready uh, to deal with them, uh, I think adds to, uh, uh, to this uh, atmosphere of uh, seemingly everyone wanting to go to Germany. Um, now, uh, what uh, indeed uh, the, the government and Angela Merkel uh, in her big uh, uh, press conference after the summer break has made clear is that Germany will uh, deal with a record high number uh, of refugees this year and is determined to uh, uh, house, feed, uh, and uh, service them all. Um, and it seems to me that uh, with additional um, funds provided from the federal government, that will work. The uh, um, uh, public response, the citizens' response that Susie has rightly alluded to, I think is in part triggered 
by the disturbing uh, acts of uh, right-wing populist manifestations, but also acts of violence, setting buildings on fire, but also violence against migrants. So the, uh, as, it, as this uh, incident with uh, the truck in Austria, where 71 people died, has shaken the Austrian debate, um, these aggregated acts uh, in Germany, particularly in the East, but not exclusively in the East, have shaken up the um, uh, German civil society. Uh, and there are a lot of people out now to demonstrate that uh, Germany is different. Now, Angela Merkel will uh, use the moral credibility that this um, uh, practice and gesture and this decision uh, to house that record number of refugees uh, gives to her uh, to uh, um, act more uh, strongly on the European level. Uh, now Germany is as affected as Italy was uh, when the Italians raised the claim for more solidarity among EU member states, uh, and which Germany supported at the time, but now uh, Germany will make that claim uh, herself. So uh, the Germans will demand from uh, their other uh, members, um, particularly in, in the Schengen zone, uh, that they uh, engage uh, in solidarity, that uh, there is a movement on um, the redistribution of um, uh, migrants, that there is agreement uh, on a list of safe uh, countries of origin, which for Germany is a particular problem because it's not all Syrian refugees coming uh, among these 800,000, but there's a very high percentage uh, coming from the Western Balkan countries, um, which Germany considers by and large all uh, uh, safe countries, uh, which does not entitle uh, citizens from these countries to apply f uh, for asylum in Germany. But there is no agreement for years now uh, in the EU. Um, Germany will also be pressing on additional means uh, from the European level to support uh, member states in setting up reception centers um, and improving the situation. For years now, uh, Germany and other member states are not sending back uh, any uh, refugees uh, to Greece, uh, which uh, they uh, would have the right to do under the Dublin III agreement, because the German view is if uh, one plays strictly by the rules in this situation, that will kill uh, Dublin, uh, the Dublin system, and eventually will kill uh, the Schengen scheme. So, so can, Merkel's can we have policy a, a, change... Josef, uh, can we have a... Because yeah. everyone throws around these terms about the Dublin system, um, but I'm not sure anyone uh, really knows exactly uh, what it means. Maybe you can have a quick Dublin system interlude, Dick, um, you're a lawyer by training, as well as having kind of worked on these issues. Can you give a brief description of what Dublin is? Well, the, essential, the, the essence of the Dublin system is that uh, countries where uh, refugees or asylum seekers arrive are under obligation to process those asylum claims. In other words, all these people that come into Italy, into Greece, through the Mediterranean, um, will have, would have to be under the Dublin system, um, and that exists, so it's not a question of, uh, of, 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 of a fantasy, uh, they are under formal obligation to process uh, those asylum seekers and their claims, which means that um, the vast majority of, um, of, of asylum claims uh, end up in the countries that have um, probably the least, uh, the least ability uh, given numbers, given the economic situation, to, to properly deal with them. And it means an enormously uneven distribution across Europe. 
Okay. And so Germany, on the one hand, is basically saying that we, they're not going to in, insist on the Dublin system being maintained. They're not going to send people back to Greece and other countries. But on the other hand, according to Josef, they are going to call for formal burden sharing uh, between different member states. How would that work? Well, it would mean it would mean an enormous leap of faith, almost, of European leaders, and that will have to be a collective and determined leap of faith to set aside the the, the existing system that puts the, the the very uneven burdens on individual countries, and now Germany being one of them, um, uh, and put the put the, the the full emphasis on the need for burden sharing, and I think that is the political conclusion that you have to draw from what has been building up over the past months and, and, and obviously in the, in the preceding years, but the past months have, have, have made it reach critical, critical mass. Um, the only way out of this is burden sharing and through that to reach out to populations to turn around and become more receptive to the needs, the very real and, and humanitarian needs of, of all these refugees. Um, it's great to see that there is that kind of turnaround uh, visible in Germany. In the Netherlands, my own country, uh, uh, some weeks ago, a major poll was done that showed that there is actually a lot of support, both for receiving so-called real refugees, war refugees, but also uh, great support for more burden sharing, for more money to go to reception in the region. Because let's face it, the vast majority of these refugees still stay within countries like Lebanon and, and, and Jordan and so on. So, um, how likely is that going to happen? Because it, it seems to me that part of the pro of, of changing the debate also is giving people a sense that the external borders of the European Union are going to be solid because if you want to stop people building internal borders and walls between yeah. Schengen countries, you need to give people a sense that there isn't kind of uh, uncontrollable uh, flows of, of people coming in. Nigel Farage, the um, Eurosceptic uh, UKIP leader in the UK, talked about uh, movements on biblical proportions in his sort of uh, typically uh, bombastic style. Um, where, where does that fit into this process, uh, Susie? Well, I mean, I think Germany um, is very experienced now at negotiations within the EU and at pushing um, uh, deals which, which have to be reached um, through um, with, with EU states. And, and what we're seeing um, from, from Chancellor Merkel now um, in her statements on this issue is, um, is a, a, very, a very clear message that what, um, what her primary objective is to find a solution to the refugee crisis in which um, each state takes responsibility according to their means. Um, but she has made um, it very clear um, in what she hasn't said um, that um, they, will, they will push, either this will be reached voluntarily or this will be pushed through um, uh, uh, if, if states um, kick against it. And uh, Merkel has said that what is not 
not up for discussion at this point is Schengen, but that um, if uh, if a deal can't be reached on the refugee crisis, then clearly people will raise this question. I think that's a very um, uh, direct message to uh, the, the countries on the eastern border um, of the EU for whom freedom of movement is, is very econo- is, is economically vital. Um, and um, it's a very clear message that um, everybody needs to play their part within this refugee deal. Um, otherwise, um, there's a much wider threat to the way that Europe works. Um, and I think um, it's going to be a very interesting interesting few weeks um, as, as these discussions start among member states. But I think that what Merkel is showing is that she's serious about this. But Josef, how would you, you know, if she, it is going to be pushed through in the way that Susie uh, described, how does that actually happen? Because countries presumably don't have to sign up to anything if there is a qualified majority. Uh, in fact, is it even done by majority voting or is this by unanimity, these rules? Uh, that's by unanimity. It's in the, the Schengen is, is very much an intergovernmental affair. Um, but uh, I think what uh, Germany has uh, repeatedly now pointed to the fact that uh, uh, the Dublin system and the Schengen system at large cannot work if there is no solution to this. Now, this, I think, is negative pressure. Uh, when it comes to the real negotiations, uh, we will probably uh, see uh, uh, a plan B um, uh, option emerging, um, that there will be a core Schengen um, if uh, member state resistance continues, uh, and that in this core Schengen there will be additional also financial means available to member states uh, willing to, um, to take a fair burden um, uh, willing to engage on this, uh, there will be uh, the need to uh, uh, provide more resources uh, for countries such as Italy uh, to expand uh, its capacities uh, of receiving uh, refugees, but also there will be reception centers in other member states. You know, um, uh, this is, I think, is, is going to be the way that will uh, open the eyes of other member states. Uh, if you want to uh, be part of a working Schengen system in the future, um, uh, you should understand that Schengen is reinforced cooperation. Uh, Merkel was using that term um, uh, on purpose because currently Schengen does not look like it's reinforced cooperation. It's just, uh, it's more like uh, an a la carte arrangement uh, in the eyes of many. Uh, and that needs to change. So uh, I believe that the German negotiation position will try to, to couple some uh, financial incentives uh, and new uh, uh, means, collective means, uh, with uh, a new commitment to solidarity. Is that likely to to work in terms of the politics of the other countries? I mean, one of the interesting things about Germany is that there is both a, a kind of sense of seriousness and a real, uh, I think, wider definition of the national interest than in other countries. But even under a narrow in definition of national interest, Germany does need a lot of migrants because its population is getting old and its economy is in a good shape. So there is a sort of economic driver for Germany's generosity. How... Do you think other countries are, are going to respond to this? I mean, there are signs of, of the debate changing in, in different countries. In Britain, for example, which has traditionally been truly appalling on, on these uh, issues, there are uh, statements both from the uh, opposition Labour Party, where uh, 
people are saying that the country should uh, now let in 10,000 um, uh, migrants from Syria, not an enormous number, but more than the 240 that have been allowed in so far. Um, and um, uh, But even conservative politicians, some of them are coming out and, and, and calling for that. Um, uh, are other countries being kind of shamed into changing their, their minds at the level of public opinion? I don't know whether Dick or Susie wants to, to come in on that. Well, one would one would hope so, and it is difficult to see how these 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 never-ending um, uh, pictures that we, that you see on, on on the television every night, on the news, and on on, on other news channels um, are not going to have their impact. As we've heard in Germany, in particular, this is this is beginning not necessarily to turn around, but but the, the nuances are shifting, and there will have to come a point where Europe. Uh, will uh, have to look collectively in its in its historic mirror and, and and think whether it wants to go down a route where its internal systems are are going to be under increasing pressure, uh, putting the whole European project in danger, and and where indeed Europe sort of value uh, value base its 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 pride is really going to be is going to be tainted. Again, solidarity, burden sharing internally uh, is the key. Externally, with the victims, of course, is 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 the red threat through all of this. But what we shouldn't forget also is that you have to, at some point, be able to link more realistically, also for people. Um, and people aren't stupid. Let's 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 assume that still uh, to link that to the demographic demographic crisis that is looming, the economic imperative of having more ordered migration. And if you have more burden sharing, then it will become easier to control borders, to have an orderly way of processing people between refugees and their asylum claims, between economic migrants and what the solutions for them might be in terms of return or other ways of of economic migration. And again, take a leaf from the um, uh, from the Indochina refugee crisis of, of 30 years ago, the 70s and the 80s. That was ultimately resolved by an international uh, commitment to burden sharing that included not just Europe, but also the United States and Australia, New Zealand and so on. And there, I think, we have a, a clear example of how it is possible in a seemingly uh, insoluble, complex um, uh, crisis to create a sort of uh, a medium to longer term perspective of a solution, and that worked. It should be made to work for Europe. It is. It has to because it is really existential now. So we're running out of time now, but these are huge issues. Um, maybe Susie, I can ask you kind of to end by telling us when the kind of key decision points are going to be on on this in terms of coming up with solutions. I mean, a lot of this is being driven from the bottom up with. Uh, facts being created on the ground by how different countries respond to things. But in terms of international agreement, there's going to be a European Council, there's a, a general bigger meeting with Africans in Valletta. Can you can you tell us what the, the kind of big decision points are going to be? Right, so the, there's a, a migration summit coming up um, in, I think it's in two weeks now, um, uh, at which um, this will all come to a head. Um, I think whether or not um, that will be um, uh, a critical date in terms of decision points depend, depends to some extent on whether um, this uh, distinction which is starting to be made in the political discourse now uh, between the refugee crisis and the broader economic questions um, holds. Uh, if it does, then um, we may see 
see uh, some agreement um, reached uh, in, in, in Valletta. If it doesn't, then this is going to be um, something which, um, and, and if this becomes a sort of a broader discussion around Schengen, um, around uh, how we handle um, uh, freedom of movement and borders within the EU um, more generally, then this is going to be as long, if not longer, um, than uh, uh, that, than the, the, the discussions over the Greek uh, crisis. Um, but I think clearly this is going to be something that's going to preoccupy leaders for, for months and years to come. Wonderful. So that brings to an end this podcast uh, discussion on migration. We're going to come back to this, I'm sure, many times uh, over the months ahead. Uh, there's one final segment left, which is the, the bookshelf segment. What, what's on your bookshelf at the moment, Susie? Um, well, it's not a book, but in relation to this discussion, um, uh, an interesting um, tool came out um, of all places on the Office for National Statistics um, site in the UK on the migration impact in your local area. Um, it's a really interesting tool and I think um, it's worth a look at um, and it's something that uh, Europe as a whole could do with um, looking at what the pre- what the real pre- pressure is um, in, in the different areas and, and what the real capacity is for absorption. I think this is going to become really the crux of the discussion in terms of burden sharing over the coming weeks and months. Dick, what about you? What's on your bookshelf? Oh, I've never got anything on my bookshelf right now. <laughs> no time for books. And Josef? Well, latest arrival on my shelf um, is a small volume edited by Christina Couch from Frida on geopolitics and democracy in uh, North Africa, which is an interesting uh, set of uh, essays. Um, and I'm, I'm uh, interested in this also because we currently at ECFR, we're preparing an essay series on on a transformation in North Africa. So I'd like to, to see what the geopolitical uh, twist they give uh, to uh, their topic uh, will be. It's interesting. There are interesting pieces by scholars from, from the region and uh, from Europe. Um, so this is one of the topics that is connected to our uh, migration um, uh, debate here, uh, but has uh, a strategic value in, its, uh, in, its, uh, in itself. Great. And I, I'll mention something uh, short and related to this debate as well. It's not on my bookshelf, but it is in my laptop. It's a piece by Susie Dennison or called Moving On From Panic Mode. It was last week a turning point in the migration challenge. So there are links to all the things that we mentioned on our website, which is www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. From Susie Dennison, Josef Janning, Dick Osting, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's thank you for now. The researcher for our podcast is Ulrike Franke. Our editor is Katarina Botel-Azinaro. <laughs>